Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. We're on the, we're on the final message of our series today called Living, Live No Lies. You know, at first glance, it seems like you can get a paradox almost reading through the New Testament when it talks about the world. You, you can find all sorts of scriptures that speak about the world and they seem to be in total contradiction. I'm not gonna list them all, I'm not gonna read them all, but just by way of example, James chapter four and verse four, and it uses very, very strong language where it says, you adulterous people, probably not the way you wanna write most letters, but anyway, <laughs> This is how this one's going. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Wow, strong, strong language. And then in 1 John 2.15, it says more, but with a bit more explanation. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so we have one picture there, but then we can read other scriptures. And again, I'm I'm not gonna read them all, but I will read the most, probably the most common one, the most popular one that seemed to say the exact opposite. John chapter three and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The reason that these scriptures seem to be in conflict is is if you don't understand the actual meaning of the word world. Though it is a similar word used in English throughout these verses, if you you read it, you have to read it in its context to understand the meaning because it's one of those words with multiple meanings. So for instance, the word world can refer to the created world, this sphere that we call earth, this mud, mud balls floating in space, you know? That, that's, that's the world, that's the created world. But it can also refer to the nations or people groups of the world. And on a, on a little bit smaller scale, you know, we, we use a, a bit of language where we'll say, hey, what's going on in your world these days? What are we talking about? We're talking about you and your circle of relationships and activities that you do with people. What's going on in your world? Then the third definition is values, social systems, culture, and customs, or how society is ordered, ordered and dominating that is what we call the secular world. That is a world that does not acknowledge God in it. When you see this, you can understand how God can love the world, that is love the people that are in the world, and yet tells us not to love the world when it comes to godless values, godless systems at the same time, can say both of those, both of those things. You know, I've never ever wanted to climb Mount Everest. Never wanted to do that. It's just never been something where 
I've even like considered it, thought about it. Not at all. In fact, I don't even want to be here in minus 30 this winter, <laughs> little on Mount Everest, okay? Never wanted to do that. It's just never been like an ambition of mine whatsoever. But I recently watched a documentary about it. I am now fully convinced that I do not want to climb Mount Everest whatsoever. Not going there. If you're going there, please don't invite me. Answer is no. Won't even pray about it. But there's something interesting that I learned about the climb. And that is that people who climb Mount Everest don't just get all suited up and then go forward, you know, maybe catch a night's sleep, go forward, and just keep doing that day after day until they finally, you know, reach, reach the, the summit. That's not how it works. You travel up the mountain, and then you stay at what is called base camp. And you're at that base camp for like four to eight weeks. And the reason that you're staying there that long is so, so that you can acclimatize. That is, your, your physical body can adopt and become accustomed to the climate that's happening at that elevation that you are now in. That's why it takes some time. You acclimatize, you become comfortable with this new environment and it's in preparation to actually go to the summit. You're embracing physically this new normal that you're in. And the thing about it is, is it's not a fast process. It's, it's not something that can happen quickly. It's slow, it's a little more subtle but it still prepares you to go forward to the summit. And so it, it, it actually becomes a good picture for what the world can do in the lives of believers today. The ways of secular, that is without God, world, the ungodly values and morals and thinking can creep in because you live every day in a secular base camp. You can become climatized. You don't have to, we're gonna talk about that. You can become assimilated, but you don't have to. You can embrace this secular normal as your new normal in how you think and how you live and in life and, and just become a participant, if you will, in the ways of the world. And it's normalizing to your secular way of thinking about life. This is what, what it does for you. It, 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 because it makes it normal that your, your thinking takes God out of the equation as you begin to look at the various factors of life. And it's a kind of thinking that, you know, um, is putting personal pleasure ahead of your primary goal, which should be your purpose and destiny that Jesus has for your life. It'll take you to the heights of hedonism, to the summit of selfishness. And eventually you can wake up to the fact that you have now been colonized in this secular way. So how do, how do I know that I've been colonized? I think one of the greatest indicators is that you've comfort, you're comfortable about fitting in. Because you fit in because you just like them. You've embraced the same thinking that the culture without God has. And yet God says, don't be friendly with their values. Don't be friendly towards their, their systems that are in conflict with his wisdom and his ways. Your values have changed. Your thinking has changed. Your passion has shifted. Now, what are these characteristics? We're gonna have a look at these first. What are the characteristics of a secular base camp experience that we live in? Three different things I wanna point out. First one is this. 
the redefining of good and, and evil. The redefining of good and evil. It's a following of a pattern of something that's been coined as the twin sins. In other words, two things that, that go together. And they are this. First of all, a rebellion towards God. And then secondly, a redefining of good and evil once you rebel against God. Now, when I use the word rebel, it's like, wow, strong language. Yeah, I can see that happening kind of out there. But the reality is, is that even as a Christ follower, you can do the same thing. You can decide, well, you know, I'm gonna, I, I don't really want to do what the Bible says here. And then what happens is, is you, you think of ways to justify your disobedience. What you're now doing is you're actually redefining good and evil. This, of course, goes as far back as Adam and Eve in the garden when, when God says, don't, don't touch this. this. This will lead to death. This will mess with you. This will, this will mess you up. And, and then along comes the serpent, Satan. They decide to listen to, to him. That was their problem right there. How I many you know you listen to the wrong people and mess you up? Come on. Instead of, we already got a word from God. Why do we need to listen to a word contrary to God? That was their rebellion. And then right after their rebellion, the redefining of good and evil. Hey, God says it's evil. God says it'll hurt you. God says it'll, it, it'll destroy you. And they're like, no, no, this is gonna be good. God's holding out. He's actually tricking us. This is the truth. This is a better way to go. And they make a decision that is ignoring the will of God and the wisdom of God. Culture, our culture, is grooming with language that condemns you if you disagree with them. Our culture wants you to condone actions and beliefs that are contrary to the wisdom of Scripture. But instead of being forthright about it, it uses more manipulative approach in its words. Words like acceptance, tolerance, inclusion, support. And you can't disagree. If you disagree, you must be intolerant. If you disagree, you must be rejecting. But when it comes to relationships, you can be kind and still disagree. In the secular base camp we currently live in, disagreement is called hate. That's how it gets labeled. Jesus, think about this, Jesus did not reject and Jesus did not condemn the woman that was caught in adultery, clearly in violation of scripture. In fact, and this is what's cool, he defended her from being judged by others. He wouldn't even allow others to cast judgment on somebody that he knew was already in the wrong. Yet at the same time, he didn't condone her lifestyle. His final words were, go and sin no more. Here's the second thought. We redefine good and evil. The second part of secular society, normalize compromise. To normalize compromise. Once you redefine good and evil, the next step is just make it socially acceptable by making it socially predominant. Think about this. When was the last time that you were shocked because of a movie that you were watching or a, a sitcom television show, not, not a pornography one, hopefully, <laughs> not a pornography one. We have another ministry to help with that. But at any rate, let's, I'm just talking like your average Joe movie, 
your average Joe sitcom show. When was the last time you were shocked because it showed two people who were not married having a sexual relationship? You see, you've seen that probably about like, I don't know, a million times, thousands for sure. You've seen that already and it's not shocking you because it's just become like this acceptable practice in society. So much of what the scriptures clearly call out as sin gets normalized often through the entertainment of television, movies, social media, even advertising. And, and, and we can just become accustomed to it. Accustomed to it. Listen, culture moves the markers. Culture resets and reduces the expectation. Culture lowers the bar of what we would consider acceptable behavior, something that we've learned because of Scripture. The secular base camp seeks to normalize it in your mind and in your thinking. And then here's, here's the third characteristic, and that is this, the obsession with self. Absolutely obsessed with self. You be you. You probably heard that. You be you. Um, Self-fulfillment, self-expression, self-actualization. Be your authentic self. I know people who, if they would stop being their authentic self, would actually do better. <laughs> Listen, some of those authentic selves got buried in baptism. Thank God they get to have a new self in Jesus. My rights, my wants. No one or nothing should guide me morally in my judgments. Your personal comfort and your personal convenience is foremost in everything. And we can embrace that and then justify compromise. And, and now our convictions become our preferences because it accommodates us. How does this impact following Jesus? We tell ourselves, you can be a Christian and still. And then we redefine the discipleship to fit a self serving agenda. This is especially pronounced in this generation where right now the, the world is seen as a buffet of just whatever you want, just make your choice. And um, it, it just happens in so many different dynamics of life. Not saying it's wrong, it's just like the way it is, but you can carry that thinking into, into God's kingdom and think that, that that's what following Jesus is. Well, just go through the scriptures and make your choice. What fits your lifestyle? It's all about choosing. As the advertisement says, have it your way. This pushes against the very fundamentals of following Christ where having God's best in your life can often mean making decisions against your preferences. In fact, who models that better than Jesus, who before going to the cross, prays at the Garden of Gethsemane and says what? Not my will, but your will be done. He calls those who follow him to self-denial in order to embrace and receive God's perfect plan, purpose, and destiny for their world. Following Jesus isn't done with a have-it-my-way discipleship. Make it convenient, make it comfortable. Turn commandments into preferences so I can choose rather than obey. DIY, discipleship. How do you handle this secular base camp? What's God's plan to keep us on track 
keep us passionate towards his kingdom and, and towards what really matters in life, which if you're a Jesus follower, it's, man, it's wanting to please God and fulfill the purpose for which he put you on this planet for. How do we, how do we handle that? What is God's plan? Well, let me first comment and say, here's what it's not. It's not fear. It's not to look at everything going on in the world and go, whoo, that nasty world. I, I need to go hide all week long with my, my Bible and, you know, some, some Bethel music and Hillsong music and, you know, and just my Christian friends and stay away from that big bad world out there because I'd be afraid to get some of that on me. It's not isolation. It's not those things. John Stott, an Anglican theologian, said this, we don't want a worldliness that is unholy. But he said, we also don't want a holiness that is unworldly. And then he summarized it this way, we're to live the will of God out in the world. In 1 Corinthians 9, we see Paul modeling this when he says, even though I am free from the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Then he lists all the people. He's clearly connected to the world around him. But then he makes this comment, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ but I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of, of view. Listen, we don't submit to the culture around us. In fact, we're called to lead it by living out God's plan for our life in a world that you know, has whatever it has going on. We are called, as the Bible says, to be a light in a dark place. Listen, you're, you're to be that person that people look at and, and they see something in you that they know they don't have inside of them and it makes them want what's inside of you. They, they, they might go, I don't know if I believe what your church teaches, but I see something in your life. I see a joy and peace amidst, amidst this uncertain time that we live in right now. I, I see purpose in your uh, world, instead of the meaningless that I feel, and it's in society, we sit around singing, dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Nice tune, horrible theology. Okay. <laughs> they should look at you and see a life that has purpose and direction and clarity. And you know what? What that does is that just makes people hungry for what you have. Remember that we're a light in dark places. We are not a light smothered by the darkness. In fact, the darkness only makes us shine all the brighter. We are the salt of the earth. We're a flavor that you can't ignore. What is God's plan to live out the will of God in the world? Well, here's a great scripture that's foundational to what we're gonna say next. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Now he's about to describe the church, the pillar and support of the truth. Church is the pillar and support of the truth. Listen, God's plan for you and I to live out our God-honoring life in a secular society comes out of our connection, involvement, relationship to the local church. The local church is here as your pillar and support of truth in your life. The church is his plan, by the way, it's his plan A and he don't have a plan B. It's his plan to keep us in the truth so that we're not 
you know, climatized to compromise. All right, I'm gonna give you five points about the church in an unbelievably quick amount of time, <laughs> however longer than you expected. All right, moving right along. Number one, the church presents a message of repentance that leads to holiness in a culture of hedonism. The church presents a message of repentance that leads to holiness in a culture of, of hedonism. I, I think about um, the first time the gospel was preached. Peter's preaching, you know, Pentecost has happened, Holy Spirit, all these people, this Jesus whom you crucify, God has made him Lord in Christ. The response, what do we do to be saved? First word out of Peter's mouth was repent, repent. So what does that mean? Repentance means this, to change your way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude regarding sin and righteousness. To change your way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude regarding sin and righteousness. I loved the testimony today. I mean, I love everybody's testimony, so don't, you know. But the one that we got to hear was so clear, so clear. She talked about the wrong people in my life, my heart straying from God. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. But then she talked about God calling her home and making a decision to stop things in her life and disconnect from people in her world that were not going to support her walking in the truth. What did she do? She repented. She repented. There, it's, it's about action. It's about what we do in response to our faith towards Jesus. And listen, listen, and not stopping at, I have a faith towards Jesus. This is what messes up people. They're like, okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not having the experience of Christianity that I know others are having, probably because you've never repented. And so Jesus isn't the Lord or leader in your life. You're still living with one foot in another kingdom. Listen, God's not looking to get you out of the world. That's isolation. But he's looking to get the world out of you. That's called sanctification. And without repentance, we can still have a heart that's full of and actions that manifest materialism and lust and love of money and greed and envy and jealousy and bitterness and revenge and gossip and slander, the ways of the culture around us. And this is what causes the world to win in the lives of believers because they've not repented. They've not altered the course of their life in pursuit of following Jesus and his plan. Listen, you can't be like, oh, I love Jesus, and then have Another part to that sentence that is like your butt. I love Jesus, but I still sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend. I love Jesus, but I'm living my material dream. I challenge you to give your dream to God because he's got a bigger one for you. I love Jesus, but I have resentment and anger towards people I don't want to forgive. I love Jesus, but I refuse to apologize and own my mistakes. I love Jesus, but I need a few drinks to manage my stress. F 
Why I? Aren't you glad I picked the right letters? <laughs> F-Y-I, that's what prayer's for. That's what prayer's for. You're stressing what you're not praying about. Stop drinking over what you should be praying over. We live in a world, but we are called to live lives that are separate from the practices of the world. We're called to a higher calling. In fact, the word church literally means called out ones. What do you need to stop doing? Who do you need to stop hanging around? Who do you need to forgive so the anger and bitterness can end? Repentance is the undoing of activity and attitudes and relationships that cause us to miss the mark of God's best for our lives. But if we only become believers, and not Christ followers, then the culture of the world can still live inside of us. Number two, the church is an interdependent community in an age of independence. The church is an interdependent community. One another, helping one another, connected to one another. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. By the way, when it says the word corrupt, it doesn't mean taint. It's not like, oh, there's just a little bit too much pepper on my steak and I can kind of hint, you know, I get a hint of that flavor. And No, no, it's, it's, not, it's not tainting it. When it says the word corrupt, it literally means ruin. Ruin. Bad company can ruin good morals. But, you know, the opposite is also true. The right people can make you better. I don't know who first said it, but I've heard it before. Show me your closest circle of friends. I can show you your future. The longer I live in ministry, the more examples that I see of this, both good and bad. But you read the New Testament, and over and over again, you'll read this phrase, one another, one another. And beside it will be a verb, devoted to one another. Same mind to one another, love one another, don't judge one another, build up, accept, admonish, encourage, care for, serve, show tolerance, be kind. The best version of you following Jesus will be found in the context of you being connected in a community called the local church. It's having people in your world who encourage you, who believe in you, who give you a chance and then give you a second chance and don't count the chances that they give you. They just keep going up to bat until you finally win. And you get called out when you need to get called out because you're connected to the right people who love you enough to tell you the truth. Your calling in God requires community. I look at even this weekend and the outreaches over the last two days, none of those were a one-man show. They were all about the community working together like a team under the calling to preach the gospel and minister to the community around us. We are called to walk in holiness and community empowers that we are also called to make a difference and live for a purpose over pleasure and not get discouraged in it. God's plan isn't that you go to church. You go to movies, you go to restaurants, you don't go to church, you are the church. His plan is that you understand you are the church. That is, church isn't just an event of a Bible study or fellowship or a Sunday service but its gathering is founded on following Jesus and then being joined together in community. I am known and I know others for a common cause. 
The New Testament refers to us as living stones. And the image it's giving is, is that of a building. Buildings being built back in the day by stones of mortar, putting it all together. And God looks at that and, 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 and the Bible refers to that as the vision, as the image, if you will, and says, this is, this is what my house looks like. It's people connected together like living stones connected in relationship to one another. The problem is when we wanna be a rolling stone instead of a living stone. And we never get connected into the community because we're protecting our independence. And you got that idea, by the way, from base camp. Number three, secular base camp. The church is a place of worship, refreshing our heart with his presence. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12 says, because of lawlessness is increasing, most people's love will grow Cold, grow cold. In other words, it can shift your heart. Love grows cold. Love growing cold is not a switch. It's a process over time. That's what secular base camp experience is all about. It's about making it normal for you to lose your passion, to have it kind of seep out. We've all... You know, in the summertime, we blow up beach balls and floaties to go on the water. And, and then you have to, you know, put them away and you, you unplug it. And it never comes out as fast as it went in. And you watch it just slowly seep out, slowly get, you know, get down to it. And that's kind of like what it looks like when our heart starts going after the world. Our love for God our love for his purposes, our love for serving him, our love for even living a holy life seeps out, creating apathy. Apathy literally meaning no feeling. In other words, you've lost passion. And when you've lost your passion, you're in trouble. This is what happened to a guy in the Bible by the name of Demas. When you think about this particular person, although there's not a whole lot mentioned about him in scripture, what we do know is that he was with Paul. In other words, he wasn't just another church member, if you will. This guy is, is doing ministry with Paul. He's traveling. He's preaching the gospel. He's seeing lives change. He's seeing miracles happen. He's assisting in the planting of churches. I mean, this guy is into frontline stuff. But here's what, here's what the scripture says about him. This is what Paul said about him. He said, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. His love went cold as it increased towards his self-centered living. This present world, his love for God went cold. Could you just turn to the person beside you and tell them, don't be a D-mass? <laughs> I love that. Your participation in church not only informs you, it warms you. Come on. Sometimes we want to just focus on being informed. Pastor, tell me something I don't know. That's cool. But you know what? Sometimes God needs you here so he can warm you. So he can touch something that's gone cold inside of you. So he can reach into a part of you that's lost its passion, sensitivity, and appetite for everything that God has for you. 
You don't just need more knowledge, but you need your love to stay alive. You need it to stay hot. You need to keep your passion. I need my heart touched from God from week to week so that whatever I'm going through, I'm not going to be discouraged by it. I'm not going to be derailed by it. And listen, the spiritual experience of worship impacts the condition of your heart. As you just engage in the presence of God in worship services, it will light a fire in you. It will restore your joy. It will renew you. It will open your ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit. In fact, before I got into the ministry, three different times on three different occasions, on three different Sundays in worship services, I heard the Holy Spirit Tell me you're going into the ministry. It'll refresh your faith towards God. Your experience of his presence touches your heart. You'll do your best following Jesus when you're doing your best loving Jesus. And worship brings the experience of God's presence that ignites our love and passion for him. His presence changes everything. Number four, the church is where we are taught the word of God, setting our thoughts in God's ways. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this point. We're just about to wrap up, but all throughout the Bible, it's just, there's scriptures that just emphasize, get the word in your life, get the word in your life, get the word in your life. Romans 12, it's gonna renew your mind. Why does your mind need to be renewed? Because it's got old thinking. Where'd the old thinking come from? It came from base camp. It came from base camp. You need to get the word of God in your life to renew your thinking so you don't think in secular ways. Ephesians chapter five, Jesus says, I'm cleansing my church with what? The washing of the water of the word of God. Psalms 19 is the longest Psalm in scripture. And the whole focus of the Psalm is on the value of God's word in our world and in our lives. It was David who said, I put God's word in my heart that I may not sin against him. It was David who said, God's word is a light to my path. It shows me the way that I am to go. Acts chapter two and verse 42, the beginning of the church, they devoted themselves to the what? Apostles teaching, to the word. They wanted to hear the word of God. Listen, our devotion to Christ is reflected in our devotion to the word of God. Teaching of God's word is absolutely central to the church. And it's what causes us to rise above the influence of secular base camp thinking. By the way, this is real easy to do during the week. You figure out who you are. If you're a morning person, if you're a a night person, or you're just a lunch person. (laughs) And you find your time and you go, this is my time to read God's word. This is my time to get the scriptures, not only in my mind, but in my heart. Come on. This is my time to read the Bible, to have a habit, build that simple habit of reading the word of God, letting the Holy Spirit impact, renew, and change your life and build faith through his word. Listen, I've read the Bible countless times. I still see stuff in there I never saw before. And then I think to myself, why didn't you see that before? But the spirit of God needed me to see it this time. Number five, the church is a builder of faith in a world of doubt. You and I need our faith encouraged, not just our mind informed. We need to believe again. 
We need to be strengthened in our faith. In fact, the New Testament talks about people going and ministering in churches to strengthen their faith. But often I find the strengthening of faith comes through both the preaching of the word of God, but also the testimony of the saints. It comes through hearing somebody's story, just like we heard today. We heard somebody's story. What does it do? It lifts our faith. Today's baptisms lift our faith. Listen, I, I need to, I know God heals. I know all the promises of God, but I want to hear another healing testimony. Come on, I want to hear somebody else's story because I know what it does to my faith. I know God provides, He's a good God, but I want to hear how God provided for somebody else. I know God saves and changes people, and we just heard about that today. We watched it as people are getting baptized. And I need to see that over and over to be encouraged for the hard cases I'm believing for in my life. Listen, I want to encourage you. Let the, faith, let the church be the support for your life. Let it be what it's meant to be in your life. Let the church encourage your holiness. Let the church strengthen your faith. Let the church be your strongest, closest community. Let the church build you up and keep you on mission. Let the church be what it's supposed to be, the support and the pillar of truth in your life. Let's stand as we take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you have not called us to a DIY Christianity. Figure it out. You're all on your own. Lord, we, we are not your children left on the street to figure it out. But Lord, instead you put us in your house with others. We get to do this together. And Father, I thank you that in the context of the local church, we discover the support, we discover the pillar, we discover you being the anchor to our faith, you being our stronghold, or you being the rock that Jesus is in our life. Lord, I just pray for, for anyone who's here that there might be something in them that maybe just fears trust, fears that kind of connection that kind of just resists it, some, even a sense of independence. And Lord, may we let that go. May we not let our fears and insecurities keep us from your blessings that you want to bring through community in our lives. With our heads bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. It's a prayer of salvation for those watching online and for those who are in the room. Maybe as I talked about repentance, something about that related to you. You see, you, you could be someone who's always heard you need to believe in Jesus and you do believe in Jesus, but if you haven't repented, then you haven't allowed Christ to become who he's meant to become in your world. And that is, he's meant to be the Lord of your life. He's meant to be the leader He's meant to be not just resident, but president in your world. But if you haven't repented, if you haven't addressed your actions that need to change, if you haven't addressed relationships that drag you down and say, I've got to stop this. I need to go in a new direction. Listen, repentance is I'm going this way, but now I realize I need to change. I have an understanding of that. And I go 180 degrees in the other direction. And if that's not there, you can even become disillusioned because you're like, well, I hear about being a believer. I'm a believer, but I'm not experiencing all the things that I know others might be. Or I feel like I have a hard time keeping my passion for the things of God. 
That's because they're getting quenched by sin. You gotta repent. You gotta repent. And right now we're gonna pray in response to this word and make a solid decision that says, Lord, I not only believe, but I repent so that Jesus Christ can be Lord in my life, so I can walk in holiness, so I can fulfill the destiny for which you died for me for and put me on this planet to fulfill. With their heads bowed, how many here would say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. Today, I'm repenting. Can you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand in response to this. Boldly, before God, God, today I'm repenting. Just letting you know, I mean business. That's awesome. That's awesome. I congratulate you for having the guts. And I promise you, there's nothing you're giving up or turning from that you'll look back on and wish you kept. But you'll thank God you did it today and wish you only did it sooner. Now let's pray. And let's pray with those who are praying. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You're the son of God who came, who died, who rose again and gives us eternal life. I ask you to forgive my sins. Today I'm repenting. I'm going in a new direction. I'm making appropriate changes to follow you as the Lord of my life. I confess Jesus as the Lord of my life. From this day forward, amen. Let's give Jesus a big hand for those who prayed. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.